The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we are grateful you're here. My name is Chase. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here. And we are finishing today a series on the parables. Last week, Tim Cartwright told us not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And yesterday, ESPN told a lot of you not to put your hope in your college football team's success, which is so uncertain. So before we look in Luke 15 at the prodigal son, just kind of next couple of weeks are big weeks for us and just want to mention a big need that we have last week in our launch pad from age birth to fourth grade we had 285 kids and we are grateful for that that means we've got big volunteer needs so if god would stir your heart at all to come alongside parents as they disciple kids and take an hour hour and a half out of every week or every other week to serve children and families and help them grow in knowing Jesus. What a great opportunity to serve. We say here that every member is a minister, and so if you don't have a ministry, Launchpad's a great one. You can see specific needs they have at 9.30 and 11, and you can talk to Ashley or Lucas or Julie about where you might best fit to fill those needs. And then again, next week, we've got a baptism meeting if you miss video announcements. If you or follower of Christ, and you've not followed Christ in believer's baptism, we would encourage you to take that great step of obedience, of publicly professing your faith. So meeting next week at 1230. Next week is also Grandparents Week. We'll be celebrating and praying for grandparents. And then in two weeks on Saturday, Newcomer's Brunch. So if you are new to TBC, if you come in the last year or so, we'd love to see you at our Newcomer's Brunch, not next Saturday, but the following. Well, let's dive into the prodigal son. This story is one of the most talked about stories, not just in Scripture, but in all the world. William Shakespeare said it was the best short story he had ever read. Rembrandt painted about it. The Rolling Stones sung about it. Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem about it. And that poem, in part, says, from the prodigal perspective, my Father glooms and advises me, my brother sulks and despises me, and mother catechizes me till I want to go out and swear. And Jesus uses this story to press into all sorts of people. So in Luke 15, it begins by saying that tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus and he was fellowshipping with them essentially. And the Pharisees and the scribes are really bothered by this. So Jesus tells them a couple of stories. He tells them a story of a lost son or a lost coin. And he tells them a story of a lost sheep to help them think about the redemption that is coming to the lost sheep of Israel. But then when he tells them the story of the prodigal son, they're enraged as they are over and over in the book of Luke. So let's read the beginning of the story. Luke 15, 11, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living, 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger, and I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that it reminds us that, God, whether we are running from you in unrighteousness or whether we're rebelling against you in self-righteousness, that you are a good father who would welcome us home and welcome us to joy. And so, God, as we talk through this story today, we pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts to run to you no matter where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this story starts by saying there was a man who had two sons. And we're going to talk about both of those sons today. We're going to talk about the younger brother, and then we're going to talk about the older brother, and then we're going to talk about the father. The younger brother says in verse 12, give me a share of the property that's coming to me and... And the father divided his property between these two sons. This young man wants to be his own man. He is living with all that he needs. And I think a wealthy father's house, we're going to find out that the father has fields, that the father has a lot of property. And this young man is living a pretty good life, but he wants to be his own man. He wants to go and live wherever he wants. He wants to decide when to wake up. He wants to decide where he's going to go, when to come back. Life at home is kind of a drag. So in humiliating fashion, he asks his father, would you go ahead and give me my inheritance now? And basically what he's saying to the father is, your money matters more to me than you do. I'd rather have your stuff than you. You're dead to me. I just, I just want to leave. I just want a better life than you're offering. So can you give me my stuff and I'll go. And then people who comment on this story say this would have been humiliating to a Jewish father. It would have been humiliating in the ancient Near East. It would have been humiliating for a son to ask for his inheritance way back then. But I got to tell you, I think in any culture and in any time, it would be pretty humiliating for the father, for a son to say, I want your stuff more than you. And, and he takes off and he's got a plan for how life is going to be and he's going to live it on his own terms. But as you've heard us and others say before, sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. And that's what happens to the prodigal son. He squandered the property and reckless living. He filled himself with food and with ladies. The finest clothing he could buy for a little while, but he spent everything and a severe famine arose. He went further than he wanted to go, a far country. 
It cost him more than he wanted to pay. He spent everything he had. And he was there longer than he wanted to stay. So much so that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. So Jesus makes the story clear. This guy's in a bad way. He's hired himself out as a slave to a Gentile and he's feeding pigs an unclean animal. No one was giving him anything. And he's in a rough spot. Well, if you've ever been the prodigal, you know you get in a place where it just feels awful and you think you can't come home. And if you can come home, will the Father accept you? Certainly not as a son. This guy's thinking about all he's spent, all that he's done. I'll just go be a servant. I don't know about you, but I know what that feels like. As I was thinking about this text, I was thinking back to a time late in 1996, early 1997, and I was just flat out running from the Lord. And I'll tell you, I'd heard it said before, but what I found through my experience is that sin took me further than I wanted to go. It cost me more than I wanted to pay. And it kept me longer than I wanted to stay. And I got in such a rut. I don't know if you do this. It's like, I, well, God doesn't want me. I don't want to come. I've done this before. I, surely I can't come back this time. He doesn't, and it just feels like the last thing on earth that you would do. Maybe you don't know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. A lot of you do know what that feels like. But as we read this story... It says he comes to his senses. He comes to himself. And life in the Father's house was actually really, really good. And he just says, I'll, I'll come back. He's like the guy in Luke 18 who's just going to beat his chest and go have mercy on me, a sinner. And so he decides to return. He says, I'd rather be a servant for my Father than live how I'm living Listen, God's children have always taken him for granted. So when this young man comes to his senses or comes to himself, he realizes things are way better with the Father. But God's people have always struggled with that, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they've got everything they need. They've got great commands. They can eat from all the trees except one. They're naked and they're not ashamed, but... What God is providing is just not enough. And so they ate of the tree, and it cost them more than they wanted to pay. And they got sent out of the garden for far, far longer than they could have imagined. And then they tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. I started thinking about that this week, and you think, well, you cut a leaf off of a tree, it's green and soft, but what happens? Fig leaves don't work. Don't dwell on that too long, right? But they don't work. They're not going to last really long. But God made a covering of animal skins, like a leather jacket that might last forever. And the prodigal tried to cover the fig leaves of his emptiness with his father's inheritance, and it just didn't work and he comes to his senses and over and over and over in the old testament we see it with adam and eve we see it with so many others 
When I think about this text, the guy that comes to my mind a lot is King David. King David's described as a man after God's own heart. He's certainly one of the father's sons, but then 2 Samuel tells us his story. It's time for the kings to go out to war, but kings in the area are going out to war. David's not. He doesn't go do what kings are doing. Instead, he goes up on the roof of his palace and he sees the lady bathing and he goes and takes her. He's the king. She can't say no. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He has her husband killed. Sin took him further than he ever imagined he might go. It cost him more than he wanted to pay. He lost a child. It kept him longer than he wanted to stay. And he comes back after hearing the rebuke of the prophet Nathan, and he writes Psalm 51, and it begins like this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. The prodigal comes to his senses. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and embraced and kissed him. He never even made it to the gate. He's way down the road that leads home, and the father runs to him. And the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I've sinned against you and you only. I'm no longer to be worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. See, when he comes to his senses, he comes to his senses, he comes in humility, and he comes to a father who's willing to forgive. And I would just say to you, if you've been running and running and running, but today you're coming to your senses. When you come in humility, you come to a father who is ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. So the father puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on his hand. He puts shoes on his feet and he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. And the Pharisees hearing this story couldn't imagine it. Now it's peculiar, isn't it? Because a sinner is coming home. Someone who's been far from God is coming back to God. The very thing that you would think would make the most religious people in the room celebrate a whole lot, but it doesn't. And it doesn't because they can't imagine that God would forgive tax collectors and sinners. Now hear me, the tax collectors and the sinners, they can't imagine it either because the Pharisees and the scribes have been saying, follow our rules. You're unworthy. You're not as good as we are. They're like the older brother. So Jesus doesn't finish the story by talking about the first prodigal, the younger brother. He then talks about the second prodigal, the older brother. Now the older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and said, what do these things mean? He said the they said to him, your brother has come home. 
Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. All this mine is yours. Mark Twain, talking about the older brother, said he was a good man in the worst sort of way. He knew just how good he was and he was trusting in his own merit. The older brother, unlike the younger brother, came differently. The younger brother came to his senses. He came to himself and he came to a father ready to forgive. The older brother came in anger. He came comparing And he came to the Father as a means to his end. Look at verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Tim Keller's got a great book on the prodigal son. It's called The Prodigal God. And in it, he says, if you think goodness and decency is the way to merit a good life from God, you'll be eaten up with anger since life never goes as we wish. The older brother's angry, and so are the Pharisees. They're angry that sinners are coming in. They're angry because they feel like they've never disobeyed. He says, I never disobeyed your command, which is just a lie. Right? The Pharisees thought they were going to be righteous according to the law. We never disobey your commands. We do all the right things. And Jesus, throughout the book of Luke shows the folly of their thinking. He says in Luke eleven thirty nine, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did he who not make the outside make the inside also? See, all their actions were right, just like the older brothers. But their hearts were wicked, twisted, just like the Younger brothers, they thought they could be right with the Father because of their good deeds. But the Scripture tells us different. Romans 3 says we're all created for the glory of God and that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Now, it doesn't say the wages of sin is death unless you're really, really religious. It doesn't say the wages of sin is death unless you're better than most people. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the Pharisees, this idea of grace really bothers them because they're hoping in their self-righteousness. And so like the brother, they didn't just come in anger. They come in comparison. And the older brother wants the father to give him things that are his, just like the younger brother does. He says, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's standing outside a party that is going on. But you're giving this guy the fattened calf? What are you doing? Can you imagine this? There's a party happening, and because he can't be the center of it, the older brother wants nothing 
to do with it. The fattened calf is killed. His dad went and got Miller's takeout, and there is a brisket laid out on the table. And he'd rather stay outside than have brisket juice dripping down in his beard. Now, we got a lot of new people in Texas, so you need to know if you move from California, we're really glad you're here. They weren't having lean brisket. They were having moist brisket. So you go to Miller's, you order brisket, they're going to say, do you want lean or moist? And you just look at them and go, moist? I'm from Texas. What do you think? I'm from California? Absolutely not. Listen, the older brother would rather be alone and by himself in his principles than together celebrating with his people. I just wonder, do we ever do that? Is there somebody that you know that they're just so wicked... If we're honest, if they came to Christ, you wouldn't really be happy about it. Is it the political candidate you hate the most? They turn to Jesus, you really, you wouldn't be all that thrilled. Is it a family member they've squandered? You really are the older brother. They've blown the inheritance. If they come back, you wouldn't love that. Maybe it's a coworker and they've swindled their way to the top. They've got promotions that you didn't get. Are you just forgiven? Are you kidding me? See, it's easy to step into the other brother role without even realizing it. We, we talk about whatever text we're teaching each week as a staff. It's one of my favorite times of the week, most weeks. We talked about it this week, and I thought, my gosh, you could preach 50 different sermons on this. Which way do I go? It was not a fun meeting. But in that meeting, one of our... Staff members, Victoria Massey said this when we're talking about the older brother. She said, comparison is a self-inflicted poison that will kill your joy. And that's what happened to the older brother. Instead of looking to the goodness of the father, he was comparing himself with the younger brother and his joy was robbed. And it was self-inflicted. He came in anger, he came in comparison, and he, just like the younger brother, came to the father as a means to the end. But the father is a good father. He forgives, he restores, and he prepares a party. He says to the older brother, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours. He calls out to both sons and says, all that's mine is yours. He says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he was found. And what the father does for the younger brother is a communication of the gospel to us. The father sees him. He's far off and he begins to run. He says, get a robe, clothe him. See, our nakedness can't be covered by our own righteousness. But our shame is taken away when we run to the Father. Put a robe on Him. Hebrews 4 says that everything is naked and laid bare before Him to whom we must give an account. We can't hide from God. We're laid bare in shame before His Word that pierces us. But the Father says, get a robe, cover Him. 
But it's not just righteousness that we receive. We do receive righteousness when we recognize that Jesus Christ died to take our sins away. He rose from the dead as our only hope of salvation and new life. But it's not just justification. He doesn't just say, put a robe on him. He says, put a ring on his hand. That's my son. We come into the family. We experience the Father's love. And he says, put shoes on his feet. My children aren't walking around without shoes. I take care of mine. And the Father, we see this picture of the gospel of grace. And he prepares a party. Because the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes home. And as we, church, reflect the love of the Father, one of the things that ought to be regularly happening in our midst is that we are celebrating those who've been in the far country. They've gone further than they wanted to go. They've stayed longer than they wanted to stay. It's cost more than they want to pay. And they're coming home and we celebrate. In fact, baptism is a great picture of that. Every time someone's baptized, what they're saying is, I'm dying to that old way. And I want everybody to know, and I'm rising up to something new in Jesus Christ. And it is a moment of celebration. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they just don't get it. They're going to keep grumbling and they're going to go beyond grumbling to crucifying this man who eats with tax collectors and sinners. See, in, in the story, though, there's someone who's not spoken of, and that's the other older brother. That's Jesus. Israel was supposed to be, the leaders of Israel were supposed to be those who shepherd the lost sheep and bring them back home. And the Pharisees didn't do it. The scribes didn't do it, but Jesus did it. And the whole book of Luke is telling the story of prodigals. See, the story of the prodigal son doesn't start with the story. It starts with events that are happening. Jesus calls his first disciples in Luke chapter 5. And when he calls them, they're out fishing. And when Peter realizes Jesus is the Messiah. He says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, follow me. From now on, you're going to catch men. And then immediately we hear three stories. And the first story is Jesus cleansing a leper. Leprosy is a skin disease. And lepers in ancient Israel were considered unclean. And a leper hears of what Jesus is doing. And he comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing, make me clean. And Luke tells us that Jesus says, I'm willing. Be clean. And his leprosy was removed that very day. He's willing to make us clean. Well, the next story that Luke tells in Luke chapter 5 is of a paralytic. And this paralytic is trying to get to Jesus. He's on a mat. His friends are bringing him. But the crowd's so great, they can't get to Jesus. So they get on top of the house. They dig a hole in the roof and they lower him down. And they want Jesus to make their friend walk again. But Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees grumble in their hearts. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? They think Jesus is blaspheming. Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he says, hey, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? But so you'll know, I have authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. And the paralytic did. He took up his bed and walked. And they get angry about it. And then... 
Jesus sees a man named Levi. He's a tax collector. He'd been robbing the Jews on behalf of Rome and pocketing money. And Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And he left everything and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, Those who are well don't need a physician. But those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they get angry. And so Jesus tells them these stories about these two sons. And they still don't get it. See, Levi is the prodigal, and God is saying, prodigal, come home. You've been living as a tax collector, Levi, but you've gone further than you wanted to go, truth be told. It's kept you longer than you wanted to stay. It's cost you more than you wanted to pay. Follow me. Well, that's one of the bookends in the book of Luke that tells us about prodigals. The other happens just a short time later. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And he has to go through Jericho. And he entered Jericho. And he's passing through. And there's a guy named Zacchaeus there who is also a tax collector. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because he was really short. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus And if you grew up in church, what did Jesus say? Zacchaeus, you come down from there. I'm going to your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus said, behold, Lord, Half of my goods I'm giving away to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'll give them back four times what I've defrauded. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house. You're also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. See, all of the book of Luke is the story of a father who loves his lost children. And he's come to bring them home. And those Pharisees and scribes, he's saying to them, hey, you can't be the center of the party, but you're welcome in. I wonder if Nicodemus, I wonder if Joseph of Arimathea, these two Pharisees that cared for the body of Christ after he died, I wonder if they're listening as they decide to come into the party. See, it doesn't matter if you've been living in unrighteousness and you're just worn out and today you come to your senses or you've been trying to live to merit favor or earn favor with God and self-righteousness and you are just exhausted. I think the message for all of us is this. Come to me if you're weary. You're heavy burdened. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me for rest. Whether you identify greatly with the younger brother and you say, 
I've gone further than I wanted to go. I've stayed longer than I wanted to stay, and it's cost me more than I want to pay. The Father waits, and He will clothe you in righteousness, put a ring on your finger, and welcome you in the family. Or whether you're just frustrated by comparison, trying to earn favor with God that you just can't earn, He'd say to you today, come into the party. We are celebrating sinners being made new. And He'll give you rest. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us to understand how much grace costs you so that we're forever changed by it? God, would you move us beyond this general understanding that God loves people to this reality that our sins have separated us from you and that the work of Jesus on our behalf, his life, his death, and his resurrection might become all the more beautiful Lord, would you move in our hearts and make us run to you today? That we might have great cause for celebration that we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.